Hello and welcome to the Edify Podcast. This is designed for you, preacher, teacher, shepherd, deacon of the kingdom of God, for your edification, for your uplifting, for your ministry. I thought that I would spend a little time talking this morning to you guys about a subject that is important in the brotherhood today as much as ever. And that is the subject of unity among brethren. Uh, I haven't been able uh, to come up to this preacher's meeting all that often since Jake started it back up, but we do have one a little closer to home in Rome. And uh, since uh, Matt Wallen moved to Rome, he sort of uh, took that preacher's meeting under his wing, and he knows everybody in the brotherhood, and so he spread the news far and wide, and now we can have, uh, you know, regularly have Uh, 20 or 30 guys come to that preacher's meeting. Sometimes we'll do a special one at the end of the year or maybe at other times we have a a guest speaker coming and they'll have it at the congregation there at Oak Hill in Rome and we've had 40 or 50 people, uh, maybe more, come to those, those meetings. But the philosophy of that preacher's meeting is about building up ties between the preachers of the different congregations in that area for the purpose of promoting unity. You know, if we, ha- if we hear about, maybe uh, we hear through the grapevine that there are problems or doctrinal issues at some congregation and we have no connection with that congregation, we might just be tempted to write them off. On the other hand, if we have the kind of unity and love as brethren as we should, we might say, hey, let's find out about that. Let's, let's call and talk to those elders, talk to, those pre- talk to that preacher there and find out if, if maybe we can help them in some kind, of, some kind of battle that they're fighting or some kind of situation Uh, that they find themselves in that congregation. And that's a product of that unity and the relationship that comes before the problem. And so, uh, unity among brethren. Some of you have probably worked, worshipped, or, or, uh, you know, preached at congregations where there hasn't been the kind of unity that there ought to be. Uh, My first work when I got out of preaching school was a little country congregation, and I was... You know, uh, pie in the sky, had stars in my eyes, wanted to go preach the gospel. And I jumped in that work and I started preaching. I was loving every minute of it and enjoying what I thought was great in the congregation. And I said something about that to one of the older members one time. Boy, I'm so glad we got this congregation rolling right along the way we're supposed to. And they said, you poor young man. (laughs) I said, what's the matter? What's, What's the problem? And they said, have you never noticed that nobody on this side of the congregation that sits on this side of the auditorium ever speaks to anybody on that side of the auditorium? I said, no, I never noticed that. Well, maybe you ought to open your eyes then, young man. I didn't know know any better. And so there was a long-standing feud in the congregation between a a family, and some of them sat on this side, and some of them sat on that side. I I think it might have been a might have been a little bit of exaggeration to say that nobody from one side talked to anybody from the other side, but it wasn't too far off. And it was because there was a lack of unity, lack of unity among, among the brethren. And that's a shame in the body of Christ. We're all supposed to be brothers. We're supposed to be spiritual family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so let's talk a little bit about unity. Open, first of all, if you will, to... Uh, Psalm 133. Just a little short, short psalm, uh, probably written by David. Um, psalm 133, verse number 1. 
David writes, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The preachers have preached entire sermons on this verse because there are some things that are good that aren't pleasant. Uh, back in the first part of December, I battled COVID. And, uh, you know, I never even went to the doctor. I went and got tested, and then I called the doctor on the telephone. He told me what to do. But, oh, I tell you what, my wife knew what to do already. She had some friends that had battled it, and she had a long list of, uh, of uh, vitamins and minerals and different things that I had to take. And, man, she kept pumping them to me. She locked the door of the bedroom so I couldn't come out because she didn't want anybody else to get COVID. But uh, every few hours, she'd bring me a little cup that looked like it was filled to the top of those pills. And you know what? That might have been good for me, but it wasn't pleasant taking all those things. <laughs> Some things are good, but not pleasant. Other things are pleasant and not good. Uh, Mary made a trip uh, somewhere recently and stopped back by Krispy Kreme Donuts and bought me a, brought home a dozen. Now, those are pleasant. I, I could sit there and eat that whole dozen of those things, but that wouldn't be good to do that. That's just a small illustration of things that are pleasant but not good and good but not pleasant. But he, the psalmist says here that unity is both good and pleasant. It's good for the church. It's good for the congregation. It's good for the individuals in it. I guarantee it's good for the preacher when there's unity among the brethren. Good and pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. And then the next few verse, the next couple of verses there, he uses some illustrations. He said it's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. I think this is an allusion, of course, to Aaron being installed as high priest and being anointed with that, with that oil of anointing that, uh, that, ran down his, that ran down his beard. And, you know, the, the beautiful picture here is of someone being set aside to do the work that God wants them to do. And the unity that we enjoy as the body of Christ sets us apart from the world. It sanctifies us to the work that God wants us to do. And if we don't have that kind of unity then we're not prepared to do the work that God wants us to do in our communities, in our congregations, in, in, in the world as far as that goes. So think about that, think about that anointing oil that was poured down, poured over Aaron's head that ran down to the skirts of his garments as a sign of unity that he was called to do God's work. And then finally, verse 3 says, As the dew of Hermon... And as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life, forevermore. Now, I don't know about uh, you, but there have been times where I've been on vacation, maybe up in the beautiful North Georgia mountains, go up there to Blue Ridge or uh, LJ, outside of LJ, and get a cabin and go out early in the morning while the birds are chirping and the dew is all over the the dew is all over the trees and on the mountainsides and everything's quiet and peaceful. That's what this passage makes me think about, the kind of peace and harmony and unity that we can have as the body of Christ. And if not, then you got the flip side of the coin. 
if you don't have unity and harmony and love in the congregation, then the last thing you have is peace. What you have is turmoil, strife, division. The very things that strike to the heart of what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be a respite from that kind of that kind of activity in the world, those kinds of feelings in the world. And so we have a great responsibility then to tr- strive to promote this, this unity. Let me show you a couple of verses, and this is a sermon outline for you preacher. You can take back and make something good out of this. But when I think about unity among the brethren, first of all, I think about Jesus' prayer for unity. Uh, you might think of a lot of places where Jesus prayed along these lines, but I think of John chapter 17. John chapter 17, really, that's what we ought to be calling the Lord's Prayer, not the model prayer where He taught His disciples how to pray. But this is actually the prayer that Jesus prayed before before His, uh, His passion, before His arrest and trials and His crucifixion. And in the midst of that, He prays for His disciples because the apostles... Because, man, did they need it. They were losing their mentor, their best friend, their teacher. And some of them were so disheartened that when the Lord uh, was crucified and put in the tomb, they seemed to think that was the end of it and it was over. But they needed to be strengthened during this time. And so he prayed for them and I'm thankful that he did. But then down in verse number 20, Jesus prays this. Neither pray I for these alone. Talking about those who would go on to be apostles. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. The reason I believe the gospel is because the apostles received it from the Lord and went out and taught it to other people who heard about it and taught others who heard about it and taught others. And all through down through the stream of time, it eventually got down to me. So Jesus is praying for our unity here. He's praying not just for the apostles, but for us. That's, that means something to me that when Jesus was staring at the pain, shame, and anguish of the cross, He was thinking about me and praying for me. He goes on to say there, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Man, how about that standard of unity that he sets up there? Not only does he want the brethren to be unified, but he wants us to be united in the same way that Jesus and the Father are one. That sets a high bar. That's not just, you know, slap you on the back and shake your hand when we're together and then talk about you behind your back when you're gone. That's not the kind of unity that Jesus is praying for here. He's talking about real, substantial unity having the same goals in mind, the same standard of authority that we live by, the same desire to go to heaven and get there by doing the things that God commands us to do. He says there that if we have unity, then the world will believe that Jesus was sent by God. It seems to me that the flip side of the coin is if we don't have unity 
then the world's not going to believe that Jesus was sent by the Father to lay down His life for mankind. And I know from a very, in a very practical sense that if you don't have unity in the congregation, you have very little success in evangelism. The world doesn't want to be any part of a church that's divided and feuding and fighting with one another. And so here is Jesus praying to the Father for unity for us today, just like He was for the apostles back then. But whether or not this prayer is answered depends on my attitude. That's sobering. Jesus here is pouring out His heart and whether or not that prayer is answered depends on if I let it be answered. Because if you want unity, you can attain it. If that's your attitude that we're gonna, you know, that we're going to set aside our differences and our opinions and our man-made doctrines, and we're just gonna do whatever the Bible says, man, if you got that, you got that on your side, you got it. Then it's just a matter of digging in and finding out what the Bible teaches and setting aside what your preconceived notions were and doing what the Bible says to do. And so you could go on and on here about this prayer that Jesus has for unity. There's also a plea for unity that's made by the great Apostle Paul. The plea is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10 the Apostle Paul writes, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. It has boggled my mind through the years when I study the Scriptures and see Paul beseeching people to do this or that because he was an apostle with authority. And he didn't have to beg. That's what the word beseech means. I beg, you, I beg of you. He could say, look, I command this. I command this or that. But instead he would plead with them. And so he begged them here by the highest authority, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that what? That ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. We know there was division there. Verse 11 says, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. And so, you know, I tell people all the time when I study or teach 1 Corinthians that it was this is a, a book about church problems. Just about every chapter you've got a new problem that he's dealing with. But I think the root of all these problems is back here in chapter 1 verse 10. The root of all these problems that he's dealing with in this entire book is that they weren't unified. They didn't have the kind of unity, togetherness that they should have had. Uh, not, not as brethren, not doctrinally, not uh, they weren't sufficiently spiritually minded and so that led to a lot of these different problems but he pleaded with them and he begged them verse 12 now this I say that every one of you saith I am of Paul and I of Apollos and I of Cephas and I of Christ is Christ divided was Paul crucified for you were you baptized in the name of Paul <coughs> rhetorical questions here that Paul uses 
for the sake of driving home the point that there shouldn't be divisions like this in the church. We shouldn't allow ourselves to be, to be pulled in, uh, into these areas where, the, where division is so, is so prevalent. We need, to be, we need to be unified. And so Paul here is pleading. I know that you can plead with the churches where you are to maintain the kind of unity and harmony in the church that God wants us to have. So, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10. Now, that was the plea that Paul made for unity. Now let's look at a plan for unity. A prayer, a plea, and a plan for unity among the brethren. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I'll just back up to verse number 1, where Paul writes, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. By the way, every Christian's vocation is Christianity. <laughs> we, have, we have an avocation, the way that we learn, earn our living, but our vocation is Christianity. And so he, here he is beseeching us again that we walk worthy how is that, Paul? Verse 2, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep, notice, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's the subject, isn't it? He wants us to be unified. And He's pleading with us again. But something as important as unity, God doesn't just leave it up to us. Aren't you thankful that's the case? <laughs> You know, there are some things that God has, has spoken about that He's left discretion up to us to how to carry that out. And so when Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, He didn't say how to do that so we can do it with a printed page or via the internet, radio, satellite. You know, we have the, the world is our oyster. We can use any kind of technology, any kind of methods or means that we want to do that because God left that up to us. But when God says, here are the things you need to, you need to uh, maintain unity about, we need our ears ought to perk up and we ought to listen. And so uh, here have these list of ones, sometimes called planks in God's platform for unity. There's one body and one spirit, even as you're called, and one hope of our calling. Well, you preach a whole sermon on that, the one body. That's the church. The body's the church, and we, be, we live in a society where people are still saying, choose the church of your choice. Lots of different churches out there, and you can find one that suits you. You know what? They're right about that. You have some kind of crazy belief system, you just start shopping around. You'll find somebody who'll tell you it's all right. That doesn't make it right. Just because you can find somebody that backs up what, you're, what you already think or believe, that doesn't make it right. There is one body, and that's the body built by Jesus Christ. One spirit, even as you're called, and one hope of your calling. One Holy Spirit. And I think the hope of our calling there, probably talking about the hope of heaven. That's the, that's the motivating factor that keeps us living for the Lord. So one, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, verse 5, one faith, one baptism. So Jesus Christ... 
our one master, our one faith, the revealed system of New Testament Christianity, one baptism. By the time Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 4, baptism of the Holy Spirit was over with. The apostles were baptized with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Cornelius and his household, Acts chapter 10, to demonstrate to the Jews gathered there that now the Gentiles were accepted into the fold by the Lord himself. They were able to speak with tongues. And a little bit later, said, uh, Peter said, uh, the Spirit fell on us, fell on them like, uh, like it did on us in the beginning, in the beginning of the church, Acts chapter 2. But by the time Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 4, there's only one baptism. Baptism in water for the remission of sins that adds you to the church. Uh, and so one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So we have to be uh, unified on this idea that there's one God and we need to be following His plan and doing things His way and not trying to tweak things to fit the way we want it uh, in the congregation or in religion as a whole. One of the reasons that denominationalism is on the rise is because people want it the way they want it instead of the way God says it. And it may be easier for some people to change the church to fit what they think than it is to modify what they think, believe, and practice to fit the Word of God. But that doesn't make it right. And you'll never find unity in that way. And so we need to be sticking to this idea of unity in the church. A prayer, a plea, and a plan. I want to show you one more, uh, one more passage where, uh, that has some bearing on this. And it kind of comes from a little bit of an uh, unusual, maybe an unusual place. And it is uh, at the... Uh, Tower of Babel. You remember when uh, God told the children of Israel to go out and to spread, spread throughout the whole world? Uh, Genesis chapter 11 tells us, uh, tells us this account. It says, the whole, the whole earth was of one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shiner, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach into heaven, and let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. By the way, which is exactly what God told them to do. <laughs> Go spread over the whole earth, and, and uh, you know... Repopulated after the flood. Go spread out. Spread out and go everywhere. And instead they said, it's a pretty nice spot right here. Let's just stay right here and build us a city. And they built a tower for the same reason that people build towers today. To stroke their ego. <laughs> to, to have a monument to self. A monument to, to their culture. Their people. We want to be the big shots. And people will see this tower from miles around and they'll know, man, there's some important people that live in that place. And so they start building the Tower of Babel. The Lord said, the people is...
My apologies for the technical cutoff there. Um, Rick went on to preach in Genesis chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, that um, God saw that when humankind put their mind to the plow and were joined together, that there was nothing that could stop them. Of course, he alone. But the idea is that unity is what God has intended for us together as brotherhood workers uh, to work together, uh, to continue to build up, to continue to be a, a great um, example to the world that in our prayer, that in the plea and in the plan of unity, which is from God, um, there is nothing that we uh, cannot succeed uh, in concerning the endeavors of the work of the church. So it's our prayer that as you uh, listen today that you're edified uh, by uh, Brother Rick Lawson and his efforts and his um, wonderful lesson about unity. And we just wish that all would do so and, uh, and God be with you.